Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International for our monthly series, Let's Talk Low Vision with Dr. Bill. I am his trusty co-host here for another great episode. And tonight we have a very fun topic. Um, it is all about going back to school. So how our children are going to be adjusting to the new school year, especially if they've never been a part of school before and how their vision loss might affect their ability to, you know, really make that transition. So we have a wonderful guest with us here tonight, Dr. Diane Christian. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank and we're just going to be chatting all about it. I can't wait to get into it. So do you want me just to start off, Dr. Bill, or do you want to start the topic? You may go right ahead, Dr. Christian, and just uh, tell us a little about yourself, but I also want you to tell us about your other significant other who couldn't be here tonight, but the next time, we will catch them the next time. Perfect. Um, so my, again, my name is Diane Christian. I work, I'm an executive director of an agency called Partners for Pediatric Vision. Dr. Bill and I go way back. Uh, my husband and I were introduced to Dr. Bill because he actually has um, RP and he is, um, has low vision himself. His name is Keith Christian. We met when we were kids, got married when we were really young. Now we're old and our kids are going to school or going to college. Um, so we met Dr. Bill and because of that relationship, I actually started working at the Center for the Partially Sighted. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with it. It was a, um, a vision clinic that um, worked with people with low vision. My husband was there as a patient and I was able to work, um, work there. So um, as part of working at the Center for the Partially Sighted, I worked with both the kids and the adults. So not only do I have a husband with a visual impairment, I have lots of experience just professionally working with um, different individuals. Unfortunately, the center closed not too long ago, a couple years ago. Some of our funders for the children's program um, had encouraged our program director to take the um, children's program on, you know, as her own nonprofit, which she did. I came along with her, and then as of last year, I went ahead and took over executive directorship. So what we do is we're a nonprofit, we're, um, and we provide free services to families that have a child with a visual impairment. Um, that can mean almost anything. It could be just providing education, um, helping parents understand what the child is eligible for, connecting them to eye care, such as like with Dr. Bill, helping them interface with the schools, make sure that their, their child's needs are getting met. So anything's pretty much on the table in terms of how we um, help parents. And I, I think it's great because I get to um, play with kids all day sometimes. So it's, it's pretty fun. <laughs> so with... So right now, it's, you know, going back to school is a really um, hot topic. And before I kind of go into everyday living is, or everyday, you know, kind of going to school, I think there's some overall things that we could do that support children as they go to school. I think one of the first things that we could do as parents is just be available for their kids. Um, it's a big transition to go to school during a pandemic or not during a pandemic. And I think it really helps kids um, if they know that their parents are there. So whatever happens, their parents are there to listen, to support, to guide them. So I think us just being there, um, I think is really important. Um, another thing is, you know, does your child need a new pair of glasses? Take them to the optometrist or the ophthalmologist if they need eye care. Maybe they're 
um, vision has changed and it needs to be addressed. The other thing is connect with your child's, uh, if your child does have an IEP team, connect with them, make sure that they have everything they need um, in place that will promote, promote academic success. I do know as a wife, uh, my husband happens to be a teacher of the visually impaired as well here in Anaheim. And I know those first month of school is pretty chaotic. They're trying to get their schedules. They're trying to get the testing. They're trying to get groups together. And that all kind of takes a little bit of time to iron out and to make sure the kids are in the right group. They have the right equipment. Um, they're getting the appropriate material in large print or in braille. So just be patient with the TBIs. If it's taking too long for things to get in place, definitely have a talk with them. But I do know the beginning of the school year is particularly hectic and does take a little bit of time in order to get everything settled. And then if for some reason, you know, something's not working as, you know, your child progressed with the school, talk to the teacher, talk to the TVI, let them know so that adjustments can be made. That open communication between a parent and the school is really, really important. And it just, if everyone's on the same team, it really makes the child learn a lot better. You know, more milestones can be made, that kind of stuff. If your child has never been to school or if they're transitioning from like say elementary school to middle school, have conversations with your child. Explain what a typical day may be. That way the, the child, your child will know what to expect. You know, okay, you know, the first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna go into your classroom, you're gonna put away your backpack, you're gonna get your pencil out, sit down, maybe listen to announcements, do the Pledge of Allegiance, then maybe do a subject and then you'll have recess and just kind of, you know, explain what a typical day is. So they're not necessarily surprised. I mean, it may not be perfect, but you're giving your child a general um, guideline of what to expect. Same thing for if they're transitioning to middle school, explain to your child um, how things are different. You know, for each subject, you're going to be going from, you know, room to room. Um, and so it is going to be a little bit different. So the more that you can explain to him beforehand or even make take a tour of the school before the day they, they start school will really help them help bring down their anxiety and help them get through their day. Other things, overall things to help your child be successful in school, routines. I can't, um, routines are really, really important. Um, they give sense of security, they give sense of stability, they know what to expect. Going to bed at the same time every night helps promote a good night's sleep, and as well as getting up on time. Plus, it helps us parents kind of keep things in control, and especially when things get busy, routines are helpful to us. Another thing in terms of um, routines is having a place for homework to be done and a specific time for homework to be done. I think that um, kids need to have that expectations that homework should be completed. And if there's a specific time and place to get it done, I think it just helps the kids help the child do that. Um, another thing is make sure your child eats a good breakfast. It's really hard to focus when they're hungry. That may be either at home or at school. It doesn't really matter at the place, but just so they have something in their tummy. So those are some just overall things that we can kind of help our child in terms of getting ready for school, making sure that they're um, successful. So 
I think for all of us, for every child, each child is different. They have different abilities, you know, different. It's not necessarily different. It's just different, not better or worse. We just want to make sure that we recognize our child's strengths and then help them with their weaknesses. And I think the other important thing is not to um, compare our kids to other kids, regardless. Every child is unique. Every child is different. And they're going to um, grow at their own pace. And what we're here to do is just um, nurture them as much as we can, help guide them, and give them encouragement. What about starting a new school environment? This, I mean, especially this year, it's been very different. Um, many kids have been off of school for an entire year. And going to school has been very different. Um, they're wearing masks. They're social distancing. There may be changes in school schedules in order to accommodate um, social, social distancing. For example, um, in my husband's you know, elementary school, it used to be you know, first, second, and third graders would have lunch, and then fourth, fifth, and sixth graders would have lunch. Well, there was talk of doing, have, instead of having two lunch schedules, having three lunch schedules. So first and second graders would go out, third and fourth graders would go out and then fifth and sixth graders go out. So just knowing if there's a different schedule um, might be helpful for the child to understand. So maybe the teacher can walk, it, walk them through it so that there's no surprises. There's also, they may have to use hand sanitizer a lot more than they did before. And so, you know, just kind of things that we didn't have to do before they're now introduced. Again, with the pandemic, we're in really uncharted waters. And, you know, even last year when we started with school to now, it's completely different. And we're all reacting to COVID and we're adjusting as we're going. So we're really trying to balance the life of, you know, of being safe, but continuing to go with everyday learning. So there's going to be some bumps in the road and it's going to be difficult at times. Um, but I think that as parents, when there are bumps, it's an opportunity for us to show them how to solve them or how to interact. You know, they can learn from us and how we handle the bumps. So just keep in mind that, you know, your child is always watching you. Other things to consider as kiddos with visual impairments go to school. There may be an issue if somebody accidentally bumps into another person because they didn't see them. And, you know, we don't want to get into any kind of bullying or anything like that. So encouraging kids to explain to other people who may not understand that they have a visual impairment, they didn't see him or that person, it you know, wasn't done on purpose. So really kind of advocating, you know, who they are and um, what they can do, and, you know, to apologize and stuff like that. And again, a lot of you guys are adults, and I'm sure you guys have words of wisdom in terms of the parents who are online to help their kids with some, some maybe embarrassing um, situations. So I might call on you guys to kind of help with the process, uh, the adults who are on with the visual impairment. Letting their kids know it's okay if they make mistakes. It's okay if they bump into people. It's okay if they fall over the trash can. And the important thing is, is okay, how do you help them get back up and to keep on going forward? And I think that's the important thing is like, we all, regardless of whether or not we're sighted or not, fall down. And the important thing is how do we pick ourselves back up and keep on moving forward?
So just kind of talk your kids through all these different things. I think the power of words is important for somebody with a visual impairment. For the, the adults who are online or who have limited sight, I think words and descriptions and any kind of information such as that is really important. And I think it just kind of helps kids understand their world. So whenever I'm talking to parents, I always try to tell them to have an open dialogue with their child, explain what they see, explain contrast, comparison. So give them a green apple, have them hold it, explain to what it is, and then maybe say, okay, what other things are green? Oh, look, this leaf is green, but it's not edible. So helping them make sense of the world and doing understanding the world, I think is really important. And I think um, parents just taking a little bit of time just to kind of helping their kids fill in the gaps that they may miss because of their vision, I think is really important. Actually, I'm going to stop because I'm kind of going really fast. Does any of the adults have any other comments or anything like that on the things that I've already said? Lisa, I see your hands up. Yes, I was just going to share that we did a full flip um, in our house. We have a daughter with no useful vision. She has LCA and she was um, she's in middle school. So she was in seventh grade while we were distance learning. And now she's beginning eighth grade. But one of the big, huge differences for us has been when she was doing distance learning, there was a lot of transparency and we could see what the teachers were teaching and what they were doing exactly. And we saw that very little was actually accessible to her. And then now we are not allowed on campus. She's dropped off in the morning, picked up in the afternoon, and we have no sense of what's going on in there. Is she getting braille? (laughs) Did anything change from last year? Um, It's a really different situation and it's a full flip from, you know, total visibility to, wow, like nothing. So we keep asking her, what, what happened today? You know, did, did you get anything in Braille? And which classes did you get something in Braille in? And yeah, it's, it's a challenge. So have you been communicating with the teacher of the visually impaired to get a little bit of information or guidance or anything like that? She seems to know a little, but doesn't seem to have very much communication with the mainstream teachers or even really the special ed teachers. Um, and she, she's a brand new TVI. We had a, another TVI that had been on for, uh, had worked for 25 or 30 years as a TVI. And then there was no introductory email introducing who she was or anything. So I reached out to the old TVI, TVI asking for the inf- contact information of the new TVI. And um, I think the transition was just handled really poorly. And communication has, has really gone south on the IEP team. Um, although we've always had very good communication with our IEP um, team leader. So yeah, it's, it's not the best. Um, if they respond to your emails, great. If they don't respond to your emails, then you know, you're like, what do I do if I'm not you know, like in the classroom? Like I usually might be picking them up and volunteering my time. It, it, there's definitely a transition from elementary school to middle school. I think that I would maybe connect with the TVI one more time. And then if not, maybe start hitting the vice principal or the principal for a little bit more communication to make sure that your daughter's needs are being met. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I think the other thing would be is to ask for, if they still don't, then ask for another IEP. And then they would have to meeting. do that. Another meeting. Another, meeting. Mm-hmm, another mm-hmm. IEP meeting. And just yeah, we're about to have one. 
Um, okay. The triannual was supposed to be last January and we are waiting for evaluations um, for the triannual. So they're about I think eight months behind now. So we're waiting for another IEP meeting. Again, with COVID, it's just, it's just, mm -hmm. been, it's just been really horrible and for everybody, but I think kids with visual impairment, it really impacted them dramatically. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, just not having access to any of the technology, um, it was really difficult. And then once they got the technology, many parents didn't even know how to use it. And some of the kids didn't know how to use it because they were so young that they didn't have That's the opportunity right. to really know how to use it. So here you have, you know, a kindergartner getting a Chromebook for the very first time. And, you know, it's like, well, there's Zoom, you know, there's draws on it, you know, can't she use it? And a lot of times, no, the, the child didn't know the technology well enough to access the material. Exactly, exactly. So it's this huge learning curve for the parents mm -hmm. and for your child. And as Richard Retta knows, our daughter cried her way through the last year and a half. <laughs> it was so like, it felt like emotional educational abuse. It was so bad. It, it was tough. Now, um, hopefully she's in person and hopefully she is getting the brill that she needs and the technology that she needs and that she's getting the instruction so that she can utilize all that. Do you think, are you just up in the air with it you're you know, just not sure well in certain classes i mm -hmm. don't think she's gotten anything in braille uh other one class he's been really good about it for social studies and then there we don't know with the other classes <laughs> it's time yeah. to have an iep meeting absolutely you need answers and this is the time to to really now is a good time to have an iep or have a um, if you don't have one scheduled, have a meeting scheduled with the TVI just to kind of check in, see where your child is, how they're doing with the classes, is any adjustments needed, do they need to change their seat because they don't see the board very well, are they getting everything in Braille or large print, um, is there other things that, you know, if they're not getting large print or Braille, maybe audio, if they're having a hard time getting that, maybe they can use audio books, in the meantime, like through Bookshare, something like that. But kind of, I would definitely like at the beginning, a couple of weeks in, maybe a month in, you know, I think that's a really good time to check with the TBI just to see how things are going. So for Lisa, I would definitely ask for an IEP or, or have a heart to heart with the TBI and see what's going on. Yeah, we already had one this year. <laughs> we had five oh, last year. Oh gosh. <laughs> it's been a rough road. <laughs> okay, persistence. So then I, I think then if you're not getting very far with the TVI, I would go to the principal and have a meeting with the principal or with the administrator that was on the IEP. Okay, thank you. And then- you know, one, This is Dr. Bill, one other suggestion. Uh, I, would, I would like to know, did the previous TVI who retired, did that TVI write a detailed report with what types of tools and reading aids and other things that your daughter would need and give it to the new TVI? We were trying to figure that out as well. Um, it didn't seem like there was as much communication about what our daughter's needs was. And uh, the new TVI missed um, part of the IEP meeting because she was teaching the other two VI students. So we thought that was terrible because we're like, um, 
yeah, it kind of should be there for the whole thing, right? <laughs> um, and yeah. You know, and that might be worth worth the time and money if you could ask the old TVI if he or she wouldn't mind just writing a summary of what are the things that your daughter will need. Like, is your daughter able to travel, you know, at this new campus by herself? No. So is there another student who helps her to get from she one class? She hasn't assistant. Um, the first year in sixth grade, they forgot to hire somebody. We couldn't believe it. The second year we were doing distance learning, her instructional assistant disappeared and showed up in the last few weeks of school. We think she was paid, but we don't know, but we didn't see her. We, my husband and I became the instructional assistants effectively uh, for our daughter. Um, she didn't have access to the iPad or Google Classroom or any of it. So we kept her going um, for that year and three months. Um, we were on every single call with her. Um, there didn't seem to be a place for her to learn her Braille note touch, but there was this expectation she would work on it. So we started paying a, a private Braille teacher to help her at $40 an hour. We're up to about $5,000 right now of spending on that. Um, it's kind of messy all the way around. And a couple people have said, you probably should be looking for a good lawyer. <laughs> yeah. The other one is um, Disabilities Rights California or California Disability Rights. Um, yeah, I yeah, I did. I called them. Um, they referred us um, to uh, the social worker um, that works with us through IHSS in Home Support Services. Um, and so they um, had somebody in their office in San Andreas Regional Center who was um, li listening to our case, but they said they had lots of other cases that they had to support. So they weren't going to um, take our case. Well, that's a little disappointing, isn't it? It was. Um, we haven't uh, seeked legal advising for an in-state lawyer. We hired Carlton to be our children's advocate, um, Carlton Ann Cook Walker. Um, and she's great, but she's come on just the last part of last year. So it seems like things just move really slow <laughs> and it's frustrating. Now, the, uh, another question I might have is um, in terms of interfacing is it only the school that you're interfacing with or with the school district? Because the last meeting was so bad and so heated, we actually had a liaison counselor come in who is a transitional counselor for high school. Um, okay. And she actually ended up going directly to the director of special ed for our school district and got permission for Anarishma to be transferred to California School for the Blind. So okay. now we are trying to navigate the um, application process for that. Okay. I was gonna say sometimes, um, you know, going right to the director of special education can be helpful. Then they kind of know that you're- um, Serious? Serious, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I, kinda, I, I think it's important for parents to, to try to work with the school, but definitely. when they're so de definitely um, negligent that, you know, hit the, principal, you know, kind of go up the chain of command, but it sounds like you've already done that. Yeah, I, I feel like we have, and they've tried to come back and say, oh, her needs are being met and, you know, everything's rosy and wonderful. And we get these emails and then we send back our response, like with evidence um, to support our claim. And um, then we get no response. And a lot of the emails, they're just not responding to anymore. And so 
it makes it hard because we still have to have her educated at the school mm. if it's going to transition. But when people don't respond or they're sluggish to respond, it's frustrating. But it, there seems to be a, a, a lack of understanding that when a sighted child gets something in print that a, a blind child has to get something in braille. And for whatever reason, they seem to think an audio education is totally acceptable. No, that's, that's not true. I mean, obviously, you know that. Well, I um, keep on moving forward. I would ask for an IEP or I would just, I mean, keep on contacting the director of special, you know, special education. Okay, and, and I was just curious of other parents had have any of these problems <laughs> that we've had um and just I don't know how many parents are on the line but thought it'd be interesting to find out I think quite a few are adults with visual impairments um I think there's a few there may be a few parents any other parents online I am um, my son is grown now but um I had problems like you would, I could write a book on the problems that we had and we did the child advocate and everything else. And, um, because Maybe we not we only, well, we not only had visual problems, we had other motor, other gross motor skills and he had serious behavioral problems, um, and serious, uh, and partial, um, he's has some cognitive disabilities as well. And trust me, you throw a whole bunch of them all in together and anybody wants to, they just want to pick one and go with whatever's the easiest. Mm -hmm. What I did find was after going through the school, the principal, I mean, I called our principal a liar to his face um, at an IEP when he told me, when he told us all something and I just turned and said, Scott wouldn't have done that on his best day. And everyone in the room laughed at the principal. It was too, it was Aww. great. It was great. But what I did find, what finally worked for me, I went above the school department. I went to our state congressman. Wow. They don't like, they don't like that happening. Oh. You meant business. Yeah, I did. Good to know. <laughs> and what, what happened then, if you don't mind me asking? I actually did get him, I did get him out of that situation completely and into a much better situation for him. And Lisa, how long do you think it'll be for um, her to transition to the other school? They said it takes three to five months to get to the application process. They had the application to us last Monday at 2 o'clock p.m. I had it the 19 pages filled out and returned to them by 7 o'clock p.m. Wow. The same day. Good for you. She said she'd never seen anything returned that quickly and filled out that thoroughly. Especially 19 pages of it. My daughter's adopted from India, so my husband and I have done two Indian adoptions. And after going through that, we're a master at paperwork. <laughs> it's not a problem for us. <laughs> but our daughter also has speech apraxia. She was kept in the crib from two to five years old. And she also has dyspraxia, which is a motor planning issue on top of the blindness. And she also had been 40% deaf when she was in the orphanage due to wax impaction. So there's been so many issues, it seems like. They haven't really known how to work with her for years. And we've struggled for years. It's not a new struggle, that's for sure. But it's gotten to a point where when you have that full-on visibility, like we had last year, we're like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. How is it for other students that are blind? You know, Are they having access to the curriculum? It's a wonderful curriculum, but if your child doesn't have access to it, it's, it's heart crushing. <laughs> yeah. And um, well, it sounds like she was um, placed with wonderful parents who are advocating for her and fighting for her. And I just always go back of how that can empower a child 
knowing that their parents are fighting um, tooth and nail for them. And that's a really impactful thing to do for your child and something that she'll always remember. Thank so, you. That's good to know. And we're also trying to empower her with some self-advocacy. You know, when mm-hmm. she sees or she hears papers being passed out to everyone else, hey, where's my Braille copy? You know, we're really trying to instill that in her because we're not there. So it's really important for her to self-advocate right now. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. And I if I say, could, that's if been I could the just number one thing that has helped me the most when I was a preschool teacher and now as a student again, it's it's all about self-advocacy because as you know, the system is flawed and takes so long. So it's really about just being so persistent. And I love going to the congressman. Yeah, call who you gotta call. Like you gotta gotta put yourself out there. And it's it's exhausting, but definitely worth it. I've heard that a lot. It's exhausting. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Lisa, my heart goes out to you with all of the work that you've done on it. I know because we adopted our son when he was seven. And I know what we went through on a domestic adoption. I can't even imagine doing an, an Indian one. I'm too <laughs> so- <laughs> And, and again, you guys are all ex- experts as adults with a visual impairment and how you navigated your world as a, as a child. I've observed, I've learned from my husband different things. So on anything I have to say, if you guys want to um, add to it, disagree with me, please feel free to, because um, I'm learning too. I, you, you're never too young to learn. Besides advocating for you know, services and equipment and accessible material, um, I would always say help your child develop friends. Um, I think having friends in school is really, really important at first parents may have to kind of guide your child through interacting with others because, um, you know, kids may not pick up on the visual cues. So you may have to give your child a little bit of running commentary about what they're doing, what they're feeling, maybe facial expressions that might be missed by your child with a visual impairment. I know with my husband, um, we have developed a little method of communicating with each other. So if I notice And don't tell him I said this, Dr. Bill, but sometimes he'll just keep on talking and like the other person may act like they're a little bit uninterested. I'll just give him a little um, nudge on the shoulder or the leg or something like that. And he kind of knows to kind of back off a little bit. So really kind of, you know, having a way of helping your child understand what's going around them. And it can be subtle and stuff like that because we don't want to embarrass our kids as well. Kathy, you have your hand up. I'm, um, I'm a grown-up, and I went to school back in the uh, 60s and 70s when, before the ADA and all that, and um, I used to have, well, I have low vision, but I did read Braille, so I got a lot of materials in Braille when I was, especially in elementary uh, school and middle school, um, but I used to kind of pair up with fellow students and have, if they were doing a worksheet, for instance, I would have somebody read it to me, you know, because in those days you didn't get the instant Braille that you do now because, you know, the schools didn't have embossers and things like that. So a lot of times I would have to have the the sheet um, read to me. And sometimes that helps you make friends with other people because you need help to do something. So that might be one way of, of making friends is to, you know, have somebody uh, help you get from one room to the other or read something to you or something like that. Yeah. Excellent point. Good. Go ahead, Dr. Bill. I would just say that's a great idea. I like that. 
Um, other things to encourage friendships is having your child um, with a visual impairment have things that they can interact with, um, you know, a sighted peer, like a game or something like that. I, I know you probably won't be able to see this, but um, my husband makes tic-tac-toe boards with wood and Velcro and plastic shapes. So what he has is he has, it's a board probably about six inches long, about four inches um, wide. And he has two strips at either end. And then he has nine places in the middle that mimics a tic-tac-toe board. And on each of the shapes, um, there's Velcro that makes this, the shape stick to the board. It's very tactile, it's very visual, and it's something that both sighted and visually impaired kids can do together. I encourage, you know, to help with those friendship development or relationships, find things that they can both do together and it doesn't put one or the other at a disadvantage. And just being creative on different types of games could be helpful. Real Uno cards are another great thing. You could do a Connect Four game and maybe put high dots on, or like just some puppy dots on one of the colors. So one maybe one color may be smooth, and the other color may have a puppy dot. So it's tactile. So anything that you can adapt so that kids can interface with their, you know, play with their sighted peers is always really good. The other thing my husband does a lot, so he teaches K through six, actually TK through six. And so he really spends a lot of time talking about real life things, for example, like sports. So he'll kind of, you know, um, basketball. Most kids will watch basketball. And again, I know I'm speaking to the choir. You know, you watch basketball, you get, you know, you ask a couple questions, but you get it by watching it. Whereas a child with a visual impairment is at a huge disadvantage and they're not understanding the game so talk to your child or you know explain what the basketball means what is the game what is the purpose and it really gives them something in common with their sighted peers so they can contribute to the conversation and they're just not listening because we want them to be an active participant in their relationships so I think that's important too I think for all kids, you know, expectations for kiddos, going to school, chores, and all that thing, I think all kids should have some sort of responsibility, expectations, which is geared toward their level of development. We can always, you know, there's usually something that we can do. Um, give kids opportunities to grow, to fail, to learn, have lots and lots of patience, and help provide motivation for kids to learn. And be persistent, you know, don't let them give up. Keep on going, keep on moving forward. You can do this, you know, and just encourage your kids to do things independently. I know that sometimes as parents, we like to do things for our kids. And I think children with a visual impairment need to learn to do for themselves and not how always have things done for them. It may take them more time, more, you know, and it may you know, be quicker for you to clean off the table. You could do it, you know, you may be able to do it really quickly, but I think it's really important for kids to, to do it on their own. And if it takes them an hour, it takes them an hour. It's okay. You know, they're learning. And I think a lot of times kids um, take pride that they have expectations and they do things and they're able to complete it. And I can't emphasize enough those expectations don't, um, and again, you know, speaking to the choir, if a child can't do something, help them figure out a way that they can do it. I mean, obviously driving at this time without self-driving cars may be a little bit difficult. However, what I do with my husband is 
you know, he wants to drive. So what do we do? We go in the middle of the desert where there's nothing he can run over and I let him drive. Go for it. I sit, um, I'm shotgun. So I'll say left, right, slow down, speed up, floor it, go for it. But we're doing it in a safe environment so that no one, nothing is getting hurt. Is it a replacement? No, but is it fun? Absolutely. So, you know, encourage your kids to do things. Again, they may have to do things a little bit different. You may have to think outside the box. And again, I'm talking to, speaking to the choir, but I think it's important for kids to be okay of who they are and being okay of doing things differently. I know a lot of the kids have a hard time and it, it comes and goes throughout the school years of not wanting to use assistive technology because it makes them look different. They don't want to use Braille because none of their friends uses Braille and they want to be like their peers. And so just really encouraging them, it's okay to be who they are. Um, it's okay for them to do things differently. Have their teachers support that, have your family members support that to really kind of help that, that self-esteem and then to be able to embrace who they are. And actually, I wanna um, ask the audience, has that been a struggle for you? I, I get a lot from parents of kids not wanting to use the technology. So from you guys who've lived through it, what are some of the things that helped you embrace technology and helped you utilize the tools that were available to you? If you have, I'm assuming you had something. Anybody wanna comment on that? I could definitely offer some insight on this issue, especially um, as a student from going through losing my vision from a young age. And I got to say, like, I'm back in college again now at 28. And I wish I could say it gets easier. It does on a certain level. But I think the, the most important thing when it comes to needing the technology that I need, really a lot of it just has to do with your self-confidence, you know, and, and that can be definitely, you know, a, a concern. And I think for young children, you don't want to stand out. That's the only thing that you don't want to do in school. You don't want to be different. You want to fit in. But I think knowing that everyone do, does things differently and providing your fellow students with that narrative and providing your children with that narrative that you can do things in different ways really is helpful when it comes to them feeling confident about using this type of technology and maybe even use it as a learning experience for them to teach their peers about it or their teachers about it or people who don't know. I think a lot of negative comments or fear comes from people maybe not knowing and just being more curious than trying to be negative. So I think, I think that plays a big role into it just as much as they need um, direction on how to use this, these assistive technologies and the certain resources they need. It's about how to use it confidently, you know, and that that's a big part of it. And I didn't learn that when I was younger. So a lot of that is self-advocating and things that you've definitely been discussing. But um, it, it's hard. It's definitely hard. I can only imagine being a parent and seeing your children go through that. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with that. Um, I know like for my husband, sometimes um, at the beginning of the school year, he may go to, so a lot of his kids, so he has a resource room. And so a lot of his kids are um, mainstreamed and then they come back to his room for support. And so sometimes what he'll do is he'll do a little presentation to the um, classroom about the technology that his student is using. Because a lot of times the peers are just curious about it. And so once they figure out how it's used, why it's used, um, there's a lot of interest and encouragement as well. So, um, you know, 
take the guesswork from the peers and kind of explain why it's used, I think is also helpful. Um, Kathy, you have your hand up again. I think sometimes it's a maturity thing. Mm -hmm. um, when, when kids are young, I think they want to be like everybody else. And it's hard for visually impaired kids to embrace the technology because they don't want to look different. But I think sometimes an experience will teach you something. I know I really didn't want to use a cane, but I had a couple of close calls with a car and that made me decide that perhaps being safe would be a good idea. And so I, I started using my cane, but it, I had to, I had to learn that, you know? So I think, you know, sometimes you just have to learn it. Like you learn other things in life that these, these are tools. And, you know, you, I think it's important for parents to say to their kids, you know, there are a lot of different ways to do things. And it's important that you have a toolkit with all sorts of things in it that you can pull out when you need them. And you may have to do, you know, things differently, especially if your vision changes, you may not be able to see the large print you saw a few years ago, but you might have to learn how to use audio technology or braille or something like that. Very good point, a very good point. Kathy um, King, you have your hand up? Yeah, I just wanted to mention for the parents on the show, Dr. Bill, I believe, interviewed Kristen Smedley some time ago, and she has the community Thriving Blind. Uh, she wrote a book, Thriving Blind, and now has Community Thriving Blind Academy online. We just interviewed her on Writing Works Wonders last week, and that interview will be live in about two weeks on writingworkswonders.com. But she, she has two blind sons. They're now in college, and she's built a whole community to support parents through the process of encouraging them, finding resources, and just a virtual community from uh, worldwide, that might be another resource. I haven't been in the position, I, I lost my sight later in life, but I'm an educator and university educator. The advocacy skills that you can instill in them in elementary and secondary school is gonna bode them well for the rest of their lives. So all of those tips on self-advocacy are fabulous. Thank you for the presentation tonight. Diane. Yes. This is Zelda. And I just want to say congratulations to Lisa and her husband and, and the other parents that are out there that are encouraging their, their child um, to be an advocate for themselves. I think that's very important. And as your daughter is saying, where's my Braille copy? Um, I believe her classmates will start to advocate for her also. Mm -hmm. They'll say, where is her girl copy? Um, because all children, I believe, they, they have a strong sense of what is right and what is fair. And I think they will uh, stand up. When she uh, self-advocates, they will soon be advocating for her also. So wonderful that you keep encourage her to do that. It might not be the fun thing for her to do. It might not um, be popular to begin with, but I think it'll pay great dividends in the long run. I agree with that, Zelda. Thank um, you. The other, 
The other thing that um, I wanted to touch back on what the other Kathy had said, Kathy's iPad, that sometimes our kiddos' vision will change over time. I know for my husband, when we first met, you know, when we're really, really young, I was still in high school. I'll tell you how old I am. Um, he was able to see large print. And then over the years, you know, he has a hard time finding the E on the wall, you know, for the eye chart. And we have a guide dog and stuff like that. And I just noticed for him, um, and I'm speaking as a spouse, that as his vision has changed, you know, we've had to go back to eye doctors, like, you know, seeing, you know, with Dr. Bill, just really kind of understanding those changes and making sure um, glasses are updated or different devices are introduced to kind of help with that. But it's really um, hard for that individual to go through it because they, they thought they kind of figured it out and now they have to readjust and refigure things out again. And then they'll go maybe a little bit longer and then, oh, there's been a big enough change that what worked before isn't working again. So now we kind of have to readjust and figure things out again. And I think that, um, you know, just by understanding vision can change and to support your child with those changes and, you know, to be there, you know, be an ear for your child, because those, I mean, obviously losing your vision is tough and my humble opinion, and I could be wrong. You guys might have a different opinion on this. I don't think you ever accept it or if you ever, I mean, you kind of comes to terms with it, but from what my observation is that there's good days and bad days. Some days you're, you're on it. You can go for it bring on the world. And there's some days you're like, I'm done. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Today's not the day for, to be an advocate and just kind of be there through those as a parent, just to be there um, for those ups and downs and to courage and stuff like that. Because, you know, sometimes it can vary from day to day. I know Zelda was sitting there nodding her head. So I would like to hear from other people to, to see if they agree with that, they disagree. Did you have a comment, Lisa, really quick? I was just going to say, I have X-linked RP myself. So I'm a mom with a visual impairment. I can still drive a little bit during the day, but I don't do a lot of driving. So I'm always trying to like manage, you know, my vision loss. And then Anarishma has been blind from birth. So mm -hmm. she has never had usable vision. And it's a really different orientation between being born blind and then losing your vision over time. It's extremely different. And it's also a little different again, when you've adopted because people are like, oh, you chose that reality. <laughs> you know, it's not like, oh, I'm mourning the fact that my, my daughter's blind. I'm like, no, we adopted her that way. <laughs> so right. we, don't we don't feel like we have anything to mourn about it, but we just, we need to, you know, educate her. Absolutely. That's really, really amazing of you guys. That's wonderful. Well, Dr. Christian, would you please let everybody know how they could contact you if you you know, would like to share your phone number or email and they could contact you? I would be happy to um, share both. Um, my phone number, it's 714-451-6513. Again, 714-451-6513. My email is my full name. It's dianelchristian at gmail.com. And that's D-I-A-N-E-L-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N at gmail.com. 
Well, I just want to thank you so much for being with us here tonight. I, I obviously we went almost over time because we can't stop talking about all this stuff and getting all this good information from you. So thank you for your insight. You definitely really, really appreciate it. And I think well, the biggest takeaway from this is just teaching your children how to be great advocates because that's something they're definitely going to need throughout their life. So it's it was inspiring to me as a late in life student. So I really appreciate it. Well, we want to thank all of you for coming on and listening to the program. And based on the number of people who are on this call tonight, we're definitely going to continue with more topics and discussions that relate to school. So until the next time, this is Dr. Bill Takeshta for Jesse Walensky and Dr. Diane Christian saying good night. Thank good you, night, everybody. everybody. Thank you, everyone.